It's the cool can that gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling. Nothing beats the sensation of a nice, refreshing can of nostalgia. Hello and welcome to Can of Nostalgia, the podcast where three friends cover three decades. I'm Tim. I'm Chris. And I'm Justin. Every month, the three of us gather to crack open some metaphorical cans of refreshing nostalgia goodness. In this episode, we'll be discussing the Tiger Talkboy, the Warner Brothers Studio Store, and the classic episode of Harold, the Baseball. But before we dive into our nostalgic topics, let's talk about some things we've been enjoying lately. Justin, I'll go to you first. What have you been enjoying lately? All right, so I'm kind of late, and by kind of late, I mean very late, into the MMORPG scene, but I've been playing a lot of The Lord of the Rings online lately, and I have to say, it is just a pleasure to explore the world of J.R.R. Tolkien in that form. It's a lovely game, getting to travel across all of Middle-earth. Now, were you inspired by this because Hogwarts Legacy just dropped and so you've been kind of itching to join a fantasy world like that? So I actually started playing the game in October, then it sort of like fizzled out around the holidays. And then actually I did get back into it around the time that uh, the Hogwarts game came out. So I, yeah, a little bit, you could say that. Well, that's good. It didn't, didn't feel like spending $60 for a new game when I have a game I never play. That's totally fair because there are times I'm like, oh, anyway, I want to, I should probably get this. But then my stack of unplayed games stare at me in a judgmental fashion. And I'm yep. like, all right, fine, fine, fine. You win this round stack. You can feel <laughs> them seething at you. <laughs> <laughs> you put them in the, your machine. They just, you hear them wind up really loud. And you feel like your <laughs> player is going to take off. You're like, all right, fine. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> uh, what about you, Chris? What have you been uh, up to lately? I've been watching Poker Face on Peacock. Either of you guys watching this? I am on episode two. Episode two? Okay. Yeah. You're going to love it. It's one of my uh, favorite shows of, of the last few years. It took me by surprise out of nowhere. I was immediately just completely charmed by it from the very first, really the very first frame, uh, just getting the Columbo vibes. I'm a big Columbo fan. And this show to me is very much the spiritual successor to Columbo, if there ever could be one. Charlie Kale is very much to me the modern day Columbo. So I have just really, really been in love with this show. And th there's one episode left. I, I don't want it to end. I don't want it to end, but it has been renewed for a second season. So there's uh, hopefully a lot more to enjoy. But Tim, you are uh, like, savor this feeling right now, because once you get to the end, it's it's tough. <sighs> like, I am a fan of Ryan Johnson's work. There's nothing that he's made that has really disappointed me. And Poker Faces continues that. And uh, seeing like, yeah, like I've watched a little bit of Columbo when I've always enjoyed whatever episodes I've seen. And yeah, Natasha Leone is doing like, not she's not like, doing like a Peter Falk impression. No, she's doing her own thing. But I would say the spirit of Columbo flows through this show in a very natural and beautiful way. And I'm just like, oh, 
obviously there's a serialized storytelling where it's like, all right, every episode like does follow an overall plot. But the fact that it's a murder of the week, I'm just like, oh, it's it's really refreshing that not everything is like a 60 part story told <laughs> yeah. over five years. Exactly. And it's not a it's not your whodunit. It's the how catch him or the Ash catch him. No relation. <laughs> no relation to Ash. You're right. She's not doing just a, uh, hey, I'm a female Columbo. One more thing. You know, she's, hey, one more thing. She's doing her own, very much her own thing, but it just feels like she could be like Columbo's granddaughter or something like that. Like would just happen to be somehow linked to Columbo, the character. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I really recommend it. I A lot of newer shows to me are are hit and miss and this is one that doesn't uh, offend my uh, sensibilities in any way and i just have been eating it up so yeah strong recommend very nice very nice and for me i've been doing actually a lot of reading one thing i finished reading or do you fall under the like the category do you consider audiobooks reading or do you consider them like experiencing i know it's a very people still having this debate to this day since audiobooks became a thing yeah i, I think you know, my wife is a big book lover and she considers audiobooks reading. So I think most book lovers do consider it reading. Yeah, I, I would say it's reading. Right. I, well, I'm glad you, have, you guys feel like that because through Hoopla, the app where you're able to pretty much deal with like all the ebooks you have like in your local library system, you can like linked into. And like I was feeling in kind of like a 50s detectives kind of story or those kind of stories that I've never really like. I've watched a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of stuff influenced by them, but I've never gone back to the source. So Mickey Spillane, the writer of the, like the Mike Hammer detective books, his first one, I, the jury was on Hoopla and it was like, it's like five hours in length. So I'm like, all right, I can knock that out in like a week, uh, listening to it here and there at work. And I absolutely adored it. Even though like, the last chapter, like he, because it is a murder mystery, but the last chapter is him explaining how he came to the conclusion because at one point, as a reader, you're like, wait, how do you know who the, the killer is at this point? There's no reason. So he spends the last chapter linking everything up. But it's fun. It's cool to see where all the tropes you expect from crime fiction that we've seen over the past 80 years of media, where they come from, like from authors like Mickey Splane and Dashiell Hammett. And I've been really I really enjoyed that as well as I guess. For other nostalgia things, I'm in the third book from the Dune series, Children of Dune. And I know for some people at the end of this book, this is the make or break it point for people. Like it's either you're really into this or it jumps the shark. And you're like, all right, I'm done. I'm putting this down. And like right now, I'm like two thirds the way through. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. It's like I enjoy it more than the second book, but I don't know if I'm going to continue after this. But also I have a bunch of other stuff I've have uh, in my Audible uh, queue that I've been w wanting to uh, check out, including uh, stuff about stand-up comedy, like the history of the comedy store and what have you. Does the third Dune book jump the shark or does it jump the sand shark? Uh, it, it jumps the sandworm, that's for sure. <laughs> like, I know how it ends. Like, all right, spoiler talk for anybody who's in the middle of the Dune series right now. I know the son of the main character, Duke uh, later the second, like, he melts his body with a sandworm in order to keep the sandworms alive on Dune. He lived years. I know that's coming. Like, that's like the one thing I've been told. Like, oh, yeah, it's when his son turns into morphs into a worm. And I'm like, 
Okay, that, that's uh, a <laughs> chippy. Like most of the stuff has been pretty kind of like I understand big sandworms and everything, but like I understand why people are like, um, yeah, that's a no for me, dog, and then just check out <laughs> of this series. But uh, enough of me talking about that. Let's talk about the Tiger Talk Boy, which Chris, I believe that is your first topic for this episode. Oh yeah, I'm pulling out the big guns early on in this podcast. Yes. Now you can be as clever as Kevin with Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder. Stop drooling on me. Stop drooling on me. It even has speed control. Hi, kids. We're home early. Hi, kids. We're home early. Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder comes with audio cassette. Hey, pal. Look for Home Alone 2, available now on video. The Tiger Talkboy... Just an absolute staple of my childhood. Of course, for those who don't know, the Talkboy is a handheld cassette recorder made by Tiger Electronics in the 1990s. Tiger Electronics made a, just a, a lot of uh, nostalgic goodness, those little handheld games. You guys have those? Oh, tons of them. Yes. Yeah. I love those games. But the Talkboy had to be my favorite just one of my favorite toys in general that I had as a kid. Of course, it's most well known for the prop used by Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. But I didn't know that it was actually specifically developed for that movie. Did you guys, were you aware of that? That it was actually made specifically for Home Alone 2 at the request of John Hughes? Did not know that. Not prior to this, no. I thought it was like, because I had seen it afterwards, and I just fi I figured it was a, that was a product that was already out and... John Hughes must have saw it. It's like, do you know what? I'm going to put that in the movie. And that's how it became popular. Yeah, this is John Hughes' hoverboard. <laughs> yes, it is. I couldn't believe it. I honestly just would have thought it's like, hey, we have this product that we'd like to get placed in this movie. But when you think about it, it's it's perfect. It's the perfect type of toy to have Kevin McAllister using throughout this movie. And it ties into the plot as well. He you know, records his voice. He pitches it down. He tries to trick you know, the hotel desk into booking a reservation for him because he lowers the pitch so he sounds like an adult because that's that's totally how that works. <laughs> it's like, hey, maybe if I film myself in black and white, people will think I'm really old. Like, it's the same, <laughs> same principle. But Tiger Electronics was, of course, given permission to sell the Talkboy, a retail version of the Talkboy. The original Talkboy came out in 1992, and the deluxe Talkboy in 1993, and that's the one I had. The original Talkboy was one of those giant, crazed Christmas toys in the 1992 holiday season. It was huge, and the deluxe Talkboy was even bigger, especially because when that came out in 93, Home Alone 2 had just come out on VHS. So stores were completely unprepared for the amount of demand of the talk boy. And it, it does make sense that a huge Christmas movie like Home Alone 2 would launch such a huge Christmas toy, but it, it's still interesting to think about that. It wasn't like reverse engineered. We have this product, now put it in this movie. It was, we need this product for this movie. But how my parents got me one, I'll never know. But I loved this thing growing up. I was inseparable from this thing. And the thing that was most distinct about it to me was that voice pitch shifting effect. And that was the signature feature, really, when you think about the movie and what Kevin does with it. That's the signature feature of the Talkboy. But interestingly enough, that wasn't actually included on the original version of the Talkboy. 
So when the Deluxe Talkboy was released the next year, it included that and it worked exactly like it did in the movie. So it's one of those rare instances where you get something that was featured in a movie or a TV show and it's the actual thing that they used. It works the exact same way. It's not some cut down version or doesn't quite work the same. It's the real deal. So you actually felt like you had what Kevin McAllister had and could do what he could do. Of course, few of us would be as clever <laughs> as Kevin McAllister. I don't think any of us were booking any hotel reservations with our talk boys if we had them. But John Hughes wanted the talk boy to be an aspirational gadget and something that no kid would normally have. So that's what made having the same gadget that Kevin had really cool as a kid and to have it do exactly what it does. It just was like the icing on the cake. And the original Talkboy came with a cassette that actually had clips of dialogue from the movie on it. So it came with a blank cassette with it, and those had clips of dialogue. But what people were doing is they were using the Try Me feature in the store to tape foul language onto the Talkboy. So by the time you get it home and give it to your kid, it has all sorts of expletives all over that tape. It doesn't have clips of Kevin and Marvin Harry. It has... uh, It has some horrible people using some horrible language. (laughs) But the thing about the talk boy that I think most people remember, aside from Home Alone 2, is those commercials. That The one in particular that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Hi, kids, we're home early. (laughs) (laughs) And there was, of course, there was a line of spinoffs of different versions of the talk boy. The commercial for the talk boy pen, the talk boy FX Plus, For some reason, the pen is supposed to be Jerry Seinfeld. It has like the red curtain that you would see in the background of of like a comedy club. And it's doing stand-up comedy. And it has like a Seinfeld-esque slap bass behind it. And it has like a little face drawn on it. And it's doing a really bad Jerry Seinfeld impression. It's like that character from the Fairly Odd Parents, the April Fool. It it, kind of sounds like him. Hi, everyone. It's me, Talkboy FX Plus. I'm no ordinary pen. Just yesterday, I did a recording. (laughs) And that's not all. I do sound effects. Hey, let's do lunch. And I even do impressions. Check out my voice changer. Kiss me, I'm a prince. Kiss me, I'm a prince. Talkboy FX Plus recording pen with six sound effects and 12 seconds of digital recording from Tiger. This makes it sound like that. I'm just like, what's with like, what's the deal with the Jerry Seinfeld pen? What's up with that? What are you in class all of a sudden like, what's the deal with shaving on an airplane? <laughs> and, and yeah, and then it has like a little little sound effect you can play after that. I'll talk a little bit about some of the Talkboy spinoffs, but my fascination with the Talkboy and why it's so nostalgic to me is all really centered around my fascination with music cassettes, tape recorders, microphones, that all was a thing prior to the Talkboy, but the Talkboy kind of put it into one little package, just this thing I could carry around and I could listen to things, I could record things, I could play them back, I could mess with the pitch. And it was really the first time that I realized that like, oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited by the prospect of recording audio and doing things with audio. You know, I was already carrying around my Walkman 
and my cassette tapes everywhere. I was a huge music fan. If you would have asked me, I probably would have told you that my cassettes were my favorite toy up at that point. I, I had a few little Casio keyboards that I'd tap out melodies and drum beats on, a few toy microphones. My family had a karaoke machine. I used to play with that. But the Talkboy really gave me a way to record all of my, air quotes, music, although I had no idea what I was doing at that time. I would also just record a bunch of random nonsense that made no sense whatsoever and was really just me kind of blabbering into a microphone and then putting it in someone's face and and they're being like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> but it was so much fun. It was my favorite thing to do was record myself and then play it back and make the pitch higher, make the pitch lower. I also used to listen to music on the Talkboy, which wasn't smart because I, I had a kid in my, uh, I think it was like my, my kindergarten class, this kid named Glenn, and he rec recorded something over one of my cassettes. And every time I would listen to that cassette, I would just hear Glenn from kindergarten blabbering all over the music I was trying to listen to. So probably not the best idea to listen to music on the Talkboy because you could run into some, some accidents where you accidentally record over your cassettes. But the Talkboy is the single most important toy that I ever got because it explains so much about my interests to this day, my career, the path that I'm on. There's like a direct line that you could draw between me recording things on my Talkboy devices with my little Casio keyboards and me getting my first digital audio workstation and MIDI controller. And I look at the setup that I have now and I'm like, you know, me as a kid with my Talkboy, if I could know that I have a recording studio in my, my office room here, I have a recording studio here. It's a computer and a few other things. It's not, you know, a multi-million dollar facility, but I have a recording studio and I can make music. I would have never thought that that was possible being that kid sitting there with the talk boy. But that's the importance of it. That's why it's nostalgic to me. I still have it at my parents' house. Yeah, I, I just, I love the talk boy so much. On my next trip out there, I'm definitely bringing it back and putting it somewhere in this room because... Uh, it's kind of inspiring to to me to realize that even that far back, I was still doing what I love to do today. So that's my nostalgia for the talk boy. But I'm curious, other than maybe seeing it in Home Alone 2, seeing some of the commercials, do you guys have any memories of the talk boy? And I'll start with you, Justin. So I did not have this when I was a kid. I do remember the commercials, though. I don't remember the one for the Talkboy pen, the, the Jerry Seinfeld one, but I do remember seeing the commercials for the normal version all the time, watching like Nickelodeon or any other like children's programming. This toy was just like all over the, all over the place. Maybe one of my classmates brought it in for show and tell when, when I was in like kindergarten or grade school, but I don't remember actually having, you know, one of these. I remember having like, um, when I was very young, it was slightly larger than this and it was like a cassette player that came with like a microphone. It was like a, the size of a smaller boombox, but like very juvenile, but like you could re record stuff onto it. And I was like four or five at the time. So 
goodness only knows what was recorded onto some of those cassette tapes. But uh, You're just doing commentary on baseball games. <laughs> I was gonna say your greatest tomes are locked on those tapes, Justin. Don't don't sell yourself short. Hey, my mystery science theater three thousand on those Barney episodes must have been something. <laughs> I don't think Barney cares for this kid. He walked away from him real fast. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I always wish I had one of these, you know, even just watching the commercials again. I'm like, oh, man, if I were six or seven years old and I had that man, I would have felt like I, I could I could do anything. Because, like, you know, we all got into, you know, radio and, and television production when, when we were in college. And to be able to do like the stuff we we could do, like in a in a real studio, you know, to Probably not the same level that you could in a studio, but to a comparable level when you're, when you have so much creativity and don't know anything about reality and just, <laughs> doing just you're just gonna you put stuff out there because it's, it's fun to you. Yeah. Uh, without having to worry about like, oh, oh, was this, is this really, you know, funny or cool or, or stuff like that to, to be able to do it that with like that childlike innocence, that would have been amazing. That's exactly it. That was my version of like people who doodled as a kid or who drew and like did art. That was kind of my version of it, although probably just way worse <laughs> and, and and completely nonsensical. But Tim, any uh, any memories of the Talkboy? Any experiences with it? I never owned one, but obviously was aware of it because of Home Alone Two. And like so many shoppers of years 1992-93 were enamored by this piece of technology. I believe my cousins, my older cousins on my mother's side, had one, but it was broken. And the more I think about it, I'm pretty sure another cousin, my cousin Robbie, who's not really blood cousin, but like his father, we always call my Uncle Bobby because he's best friends with my dad. So he's like a de facto cousin. His parents separated when he was really young and they were both well off. And so you imagine every cool toy under the sun he had. And the talk boy was one of them. And yeah, there were times where we were just like, we would record like just making like weird noises or farting into or making fart noises <laughs> into the, uh, the talk boy and just listening back to him like, hey, how you doing? Or what have you, because we're children and we have this piece of technology who can do this. Why wouldn't you make uh, stupid uh, tapes like that? And I remember uh, years later, I had like, uh, I guess another version of it, but it was blue. And I recorded my favorite scenes from movies mm. and then just listened back to them. Uh-huh. And like a lot of them, a lot of them were just action scenes. So you just hear it's like, blam, 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 glass shattering, people diving <laughs> through the air. And I'm like, I've listened to them so much because I've seen those movies so much. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what's happening at this point right here. And it was our first form of like a creativity that I'm just like, okay of using clips and being creative with other media and stuff like that. And yeah, I find the talk boy to be fascinating and the talk boy, it definitely was, it had a moment and it, it, I can, I wonder if your folks, Chris, uh, understand the, uh, the gravity of that, that decision to get you that, to lead you where you are today. You know, I don't know, but on my next trip out, when I go grab it from wherever it is in my parents' house, I'm going to tell them, thank you for buying this for me because 
everything I do in my professional life and and for my hobbies is it all came together with this little unit here. So thank you for that. But I did I did the recording recording clips from the TV thing too. The cassettes that I would record, it would it would be like me just being like, blah, blah, and then my sister singing a song, and then it cuts to I, Doctor Emmett Brown. I'm about to embark on a historic journey. And then it comes to something else. Like it, it's completely nonsensical. I really, if I can find those tapes, I would love to digitize them and uh, to upload on the internet to embarrass myself publicly. But of course, uh, I mentioned there are some spinoffs. There's the talk girl, because you got to have the pink version of the talk boy for girls. You have the talk boy FX plus, which is the pen that I mentioned. It had a little recorder built into it with three speed playback. And then it had little sound effect buttons. And I had that one as well. I had also the Talk Boy Jr. I had a lot of these things. These these were my favorite toys. So that was just a little handheld digital recorder. There was a Talk Boy watch. It, like any variation that you can think of, especially when they got into making them digital recorders and not cassette recorders, they had like every version under the sun. And that's about where I dropped off. There was also knockoffs like the Yak Back which I remember commercials for, but I, I never played with one of those. But yeah, the Talkboy, probably my favorite toy ever. Just thinking about the time I spent with it and, and kind of what it led to. So uh, yeah, when I mentioned in our introduction episode that like how my interests haven't changed from when I was five, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, was, I was surrounded by tape recorders and keyboards and microphones and you look around my room and it, that's still the same way. So yeah, that's, uh, that is my ode to the Talkboy. They haven't changed, but they have evolved. They've grown. They're mutated in some form or fashion. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Justin, do you have anything else you want to say about the talk boy? I wish I had it as a kid. I, I would have <laughs> would have tormented my sister with it. It would have been hilarious. You would have booked so many hotel rooms. <laughs> Under her name. Under her name. <laughs> yes. Just screw with her. <laughs> Much like how the talk boy was a tie-in with a movie, my topic of tonight has a very unique connection when it comes to movies, when it comes to selling products, because we're talking about the Warner Brothers Studio Store. Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck season. Fudgy, that was your cue. Sorry, fellas, but it's shopping season at the Warner Brothers Studio Store on QBC. <laughs> if you can't blast them, join them, white fellas. <laughs> Tune to QBC for the Warner Brothers Studio Store. Just watch, folks. For those who may not remember, much like the Zizzy Store, which still exists to this day, Warner Brothers decide to open up their own line of stores to hawk their IP, to make it a really frank kind of description of it, where they would sell kind of uh, be merchandise, whether it be clothing, animation cells, toys, that would reflect the, the properties that Warner Brothers owned. Starting in 1991, and eventually would uh, go defunct in about 10 years later, a little too early, based upon the kind of revelation that Justin and I had prior to recording here, the Warner Brothers Studio store, to me, was one of the greatest places on Earth because I guess it's probably why I have such an affinity for Warner Brothers uh, media because of their acquisitions throughout the years, whether it be Hanna-Barbera, having the Looney Tunes or DC Comics, because whenever my family and I would go to the Smith Haven Mall, the local mall near me, we had a Warner Brothers Studio uh, store. 
And much like how Little Caesars and Kmart's in the last episode for me, that was kind of a reward of being a good kid uh, in that store. This store was the same way for me if I was good uh, when wherever my family went shopping at the mall because it was one of like the most explosive plays I've ever been to when it came to just like bombarded with so many cool things, whether it be the uh, very dated, but still kind of had its moment. The the hip hop inspired Looney Tunes t-shirts, the, <laughs> the merchandise of Tough Tweety and what have you, everybody standing back to back with their arms crossed and all the bling and everything, which if you go to like, uh, I guess maybe boardwalks in like uh, Ocean City, New Jersey or, or Maryland, you can still see those kind of shirts <laughs> being sold today. Yes, you can. The thing that stood out the most to me as a kid, because they had a Marvin the Martian spaceship in there. And as a kid, it would encourage kids to climb through it, like crawl through it and hit all the buttons so you can have all these kind of audio clips, which I imagine those buttons must have broke constantly because kids being kids is smashing them. And I think it's why I have an affinity for Marvin the Martian is because of that. Even though he's not my favorite Looney Tune character, uh, Daffy Duck is. Being able to have to interact with something like that has always been like so many things. Like, oh, you get to be able to put your hands on something and affect change. But that's why video games have an, a, an effect on me. Or reading a good book or turning a comic book where I can literally control the pace of a story. Being able to do that with these characters was something that I found really fascinating. And I know in certain stores you can buy animation cells from Warner Brothers Animation. And animation cells would be like, all right, this is what we're like we're printing, we're making the animation, like we're making the videos or films from. And after deciding to do this topic, I decided to say, I know the Batman the Animated Series, my favorite iteration of Batman made animation cells to be sold in the Warner Brothers stores. Let me just see what the hell cost like on eBay. What is a secondhand market uh cost, I should say? And I was like, can I start a GoFundMe? I can use an extra $600 to $1,100 for <laughs> this, this original piece of Batman art. Jeez. It's only a piece of history. You can't put a price on that. Please help me. And I, I kind of wish I could just like, if I knew what I knew now, if I could go back in time, I would be like, yes, I need this animation cell of Daffy Duck as Duck Dodgers from the 24th and a half century. I need to have this. Chris, did you have any experiences uh, with this store? I probably had the exact same experience that you did because I used to go to the store at the exact same mall that you did, and it was always the highlight of every mall trip for me. This store, to me, was better than Toys R Us. It was better than KB. This store was, honestly, to me, it felt like I was walking into Toontown. I honestly felt maybe overstimulated, but just so stimulated by walking in there. The colors, the the ambiance, the music, seeing all of the, the different merchandise of all of the characters, seeing the big Bugs Bunny statue thing. The Marvin's Rocket was something that I also very much enjoyed. I freaking loved the Warner Brothers store. And honestly, I love the Disney store too, but I always preferred the Warner Brothers store. So I guess you can... Uh, tell where my allegiances lie in in that uh <laughs> in that debate but yeah the Warner Brothers store to me I don't know if I ever actually bought anything there so probably not good for them and their business but it was just fun honestly I treated it as a kid like going to the museum <laughs> just oh look at all these fun things I can come in here and look at and then walk out with nothing but I still had a great time so I remember being very disappointed when 
it went away and it kind of felt like almost like the end of childhood. Like, wow, trips to the mall have a very different feel now. <laughs> now I'm just going to the Brookstone store and sitting in the massage chairs. <laughs> this sucks. Why is this chair so sweaty? Who was sitting in this chair before me? Yeah, fun playing with the gyroscopes in the the Brookstone store. <laughs> so many, so many crazy, wacky gadgets. Those Brookstone people, they should have had talk boys there. <laughs> like, I'm really surprised people didn't get their eyes put out by the small helicopters you'd probably find flying around Brookstone stores. <laughs> the, the dark side of Brookstones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, between the Warner Brothers Studio Store, KB Toys, Brookstone, Planet Comics, it's various stores that, that no longer exist there. But uh, Justin, what is your history with the store, if you had any? So I actually don't remember going to the store as a kid, which is very strange because, you know, when we were growing up, they still showed the original Looney Tunes cartoons from, you know, the 40s and 50s on Nickelodeon, which I watched all the time and loved the Looney Tunes. Of course, I loved Space Jam when that movie came out, and yet I don't remember going into the WB store. But I know I had a bunch of like Looney Tunes, like shirts or pens or lunch boxes. So, you know, maybe I did go into the store and I was just too young to remember it. But yeah, I don't have that many, you know, crystal clear memories of this. Although, as Tim alluded to when we were talking before we started recording, I was like, when do these stores close? Like it was 2001. I'm like, oh, that was a very bad time for them to close because that was right around the time Harry Potter came out, which was a Warner Brothers IP. And Tim, you told me as well, and I forgot about this, but Warner Brothers used to be the owner of uh, the Lord of the Rings film franchise. Yeah. yeah. So New Line Cinema is owned by Warner Brothers. Now imagine you had a place... Specifically, where you can get exclusive Lord of the Rings merch or exclusive Harry Potter merch. Yep. Wouldn't it be those kind of places you'd like to go to and, I don't know, spend ungodly amounts of money there? You know, then I could have seen myself going into those stores a lot if they had still been around. You would have worked there. Who are you kidding? (laughs) You would have been like, can you hire me? I'm 12. (laughs) (laughs) Pay me to play with toys. Do it. I'll, I'll make back the money for you. Yeah, the reason why these stores went away is because Time Warner said, you know what? I know what a good investment is. That internet thing is really big. Let's buy AOL. And you know what? They did because AOL was the biggest internet provider in the United States at that point. But the dot-com burst and AOL stock really did hit. It signed off. Oh, it really did. And so once they realized, oh, we need to liquidate as much stuff as possible... That's when they got rid of the Warner Brothers Studio stores. There is still one, I think, existing on the Warner Brothers lot, I think, in Burbank. So when are we doing the field trip? I mean, <laughs> I think we all deserve it. We need to go because, A, go see the the that Batman statue in, that's, uh, I think, outside of an AMC, as well as let's go see the Batmobiles on the Warner Brothers lot and, and the, just the Batman Museum. Like, I think we need to scale the walls or buy a ticket, one or the other, depending on how adventurous we feel, and go to Warner Brothers and experience this place because 
I don't know, there's such a rich history with Warner Brothers and Looney Tunes and DC and what have you. If you're feeling kind of more nostalgic where you want to experience more about this and find out more history about where the Looney Tunes stand today, YouTuber Patrick Willems, who does video essays and who is a filmmaker, he released a video essay about like two weeks ago at the time of this recording called Where the Looney Tunes Stand Today. And he tracks the history of the Looney Tunes, where they originally, how they came together, where they hit their kind of pop culture zenith in the 1990s, thanks to things like these stores, the reruns of the, the Merry Melodies on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, and of course, Space Jam turning Looney Tunes into a billion dollar profit just off the merchandise of that movie alone, and how they've been kind of rudderless since then and all the mistakes that have happened even though there's a glimmer of hope with Looney Tunes today on HBO Max but yeah so do you guys have any other things you want to talk about when it comes to Warner Brothers Studio Stores AOL more like America offline am I right yeah there it is <laughs> with that in mind uh, I think you struck out with that uh, that joke right there and speaking of baseball analogies that I've been trying to Sure, it's this episode. Justin, what is your topic for this evening? So my topic is one of my favorite episodes of Hey Arnold. It is a very early episode of the series called The Baseball. Man, Arnold, that was great! I just pretended I was Mickey Kaline and bam, I hit it. Who's Mickey Kaline? Who's Mickey Kaline? You gotta be kidding. Uh, No. He's my favorite player of all time. 533 home runs, lifetime batting average of 299, one point below 300. Mickey Kaline is the greatest baseball player who ever lived. Kaline's a bum! Huh? Kaline's striking out again. What else is new? I'll tell you what, it's a sad thing to see, Jay. This once great slugger is now just a mere shadow of his former self. Boy, I hate to see Kaline go out like this. Hey Arnold, if you've been living under a rock for the past 30 years, uh, is a cartoon created by Craig Bartlett that ran on Nickelodeon from October of 1996 through, uh, well, let's just call it November of 2002. They aired a couple of episodes after that, but it mostly came to an end in November of 2002. Got its own theatrical uh, movie in the summer of 2002, and then a very long delayed TV movie that finally aired in November of 2017. Wow, that happened that long ago? Yeah, that's I thought that was like years two now. years ago. Holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> that is, it's somehow over five years now. Damn. We're old. <laughs> well, there was a two and a half, three year kind of blur. That and is the blur, Like from song two, not that kind of blur. <laughs> I think this show is the greatest animated children's show of our generation. Even watching it today, I think it's perfect. It gave us slice-of-life stories that, while being, you know, slightly fantastic, the, the main character is a football-shaped head, people are drawn weird, it's it's Nickelodeon. So you, you're getting, you know, a little bit of fairy tale in it, as you will. The stories were mostly rooted in realism, unlike a lot of other Nickelodeon shows that were out there at the time. Additionally, a lot of the episodes had these bittersweet endings that there was a, you know, some sort of happy ending, but 
there was still some kind of cost or, or sadness that whoever the main character of the episode, you know, had to experience, which is like the perfect type of children's fantasy story. Every, every story should have a, a little bit of that. This episode also debuted at a very appropriate time. It was October 16th of 1996, just a handful of days before Game 1 of the World Series between the New York Yankees and Atlanta Braves. So this is when I was first getting into baseball. I had gone to a couple of Yankee games in September, uh, which were the first two games I ever went to. And I remember watching the Yankees in the playoffs on TV. This was Derek Jeter's rookie season, the Yankees' first trip to the World Series in about 15 years. And so I have very vivid memories of this time in my life. A week before this episode aired, Game 1 of the American League Championship Series, Derek Jeter hit a ball to right field in Old Yankee Stadium where this 12-year-old kid from Jersey reached over the wall and took a ball that would have been caught right away from the outfielder who was about to make the catch. Very unfairly, it was called a home run for the Yankees. I went berserk. My dad, my grandfather watching, all went just insane. It tied the game very late. The Yankees won the game in extra innings. Uh, it was the first time I was really excited about baseball. And a week after that, this episode airs. And this is probably the first representation of baseball in media that I can remember. Before I go into the episode itself, what are your guys' memories of Hey Arnold? My memories of the show was it was kind of like a transitional period for Nickelodeon media-wise where the reruns of, say, Rugrats or Rocco's Modern Life were starting to, or even Ren and Snippy, were starting to taper away. And shows like this, Angry Beavers, Wild Thornberries, started to become more and more prevalent prior to SpongeBob taking over and Nickelodeon becoming the SpongeBob network for <laughs> the foreseeable future. But yeah, it was very different because unlike shows like Ah, Real Monsters or even Doug, it was about a kid and, and a world, but you're right. It, it had a sense of realism, even though there were fantastical elements in there. Designs being a number one example of that. When you said bittersweet, I never realized that I never put that together. But yeah, a lot of the episodes had a bittersweet ending where like we rescued the giant tortoise from a zoo, but at what cost? And like <laughs> and trying to cure this uh, animal's uh, depression along the way. Or learning uh, karate could be kind of a negative if you use it in an improper <laughs> way and potentially embarrass people by ripping off their clothes that accidentally. Wait, did Arnold join Cobra Kai in one episode? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you really think of it that way. It, no, it, they, they do the whole Karate Kid like training montage. Yeah. And so, like, whenever I think about it, chill is the, the word I would use to describe it. It was very relaxed tone. It wasn't hyperkinetic it was it had a very not like a loose or kind of aimlessness to it but like no it was like it just took its time when it's telling a story and it maybe it's because like i've seen so many ambient videos upload on youtube where it's like arnold's room for a couple hours and you just see like a it's kind of like lo-fi music in the background and you see like the skyline turn from afternoon to early evening and going back to what you were saying before justin about seeing that kid take that 
ball away from what would that eventually was called a home run. I imagine that kid went back to Hackensack in a body cast because of people being angry at him. Oh no, this was at Yankee Stadium, so everyone loved him. Ah, well, I'm sure this because there's always Braves fans at New York games. It's a very weird thing. As a, even as a Mets fan, I've seen a lot of Braves fans show up to Shea Stadium and now City Field. It's very strange to have people either just local who are fans or travel. But what about you, Chris? What what were your memories with Hey Arnold? Hey Arnold for me was immediately a show that I connected with because it felt to me kind of cut from the same cloth as Doug. And I was always a big fan of Doug, but it I feel like it took it even a few steps further in uh, kind of the dimensions that it presented, you know, in a kid's show, in an animated kid's show. It has a very sort of uh, internal and introspective type of feel and and a vibe to it. And the music is great. The smooth jazz type of feel to it. I think Hey Arnold is probably my favorite Nicktoon. And if it's not, it's definitely top two or three. I can still go back and watch it. Actually, it actually keeps my attention, unlike a lot of other shows where it's like, yeah, I can watch an episode or two and then I kind of drift off. I could watch Hey Arnold straight through. So I think it's a really well-written show. Uh, I think it's probably the one that resonates with me the most just in terms of I still think about moments in those episodes. So yeah, I'm a very big fan of Hey Arnold. And this episode that I want to talk about tonight is probably the perfect example of the types of stories that this series told. So this episode was written by, I hope I'm getting this man's name correct, Joe and Solobier. It tells the story of how Arnold reacts to the retirement of his favorite baseball player, Mickey Kaline. So the episode starts off with Arnold playing baseball on the street with his friends and channeling thoughts of his idol, Mickey Kaline, to hit a home run. As the kids are walking back to Arnold's boarding house, Arnold explains who Mickey Kaline is. He's hit 533 career home runs, has a World Series title, and a lifetime batting average of 299, which is a very good career. At the same time, the adults outside the boarding house are watching a baseball game on TV and Mickey Kaline is striking out again, which is a thing he's done a lot lately, which is very bad. His skills have declined and the broadcast declares that Kaline just announced his retirement and for the sake of time compression, tomorrow is his last game. So this leaves Arnold feeling heartbroken. Arnold and his best friend Gerald scrounge up enough money to buy tickets off a scalper, but the seats are in the upper deck. Their vision is obscured by a giant concrete beam, which is unfortunate. They decide to sneak down to a lower level where they're caught by ushers, of course, because every cartoon needs like a chase scene, especially when you're at a, a baseball game for some reason. And at this very moment, Mickey Kaline steps up for his final at-bat and crushes what is his 534th career home run, which Arnold catches. So this is really where the episode gets good, because I feel like in a lot of children's shows, you'd expect the episode to end right about there with the, the main character catching his idol's home run baseball and, you know, getting a shout out from 
the player in an interview. But this is really what makes Hey Arnold such a brilliant show. We get a scene where Arnold comes home from the game and he sees Mickey Kaline give a very emotional interview on TV where he's crying and he says, I've got real mixed feelings. I feel great about hitting a home run, but baseball has been my whole life and I'm going to miss it a lot, a whole lot. So Arnold spends the rest of the evening in his room tossing the baseball up and down while Jim Lang's jazzy soundtrack plays until his grandpa comes in to try and cheer him up. Arnold says, Mickey's given me so much, I wish there was a way to give him something back. Which is, I feel like we all feel that way about our idols, and not many of us have a chance to do that. So uh, Grandpa Phil suggests maybe there is a way, and invites Arnold down to the car where they drive to the baseball field, and we get this Field of Dreams moment where... Mickey Kaline and Arnold have play catch as Mickey tells Arnold the story about facing Bob Gibson in the World Series years ago. In my opinion, just an amazing episode. What are your guys' thoughts? It is, if I'm not mistaken, they keep the city vague. We don't know where it is, where it's like, it seems very... East Coast, it seems like it's modeled out in like New York City or something like that, but it's also like the woods around the city. It's got like redwoods and everything. It's got a very Pacific Northwest, Cal- Northern California vibe to it. Yeah, it's, I think it's modeled off a, a cross between like Brooklyn and Seattle. Right. Which like that kind of amalgamation makes it kind of unique and like it makes it somehow more universal by being kind of broad. But it definitely seems like, oh, that's like going to a baseball game in the 1990s. And Arnold's grandpa like being very nice and like slipping him money so like he can go buy tickets. But even though it does tag it with a cool joke, like, wait, there was a 50 in there. Arnold, come back. Um, and the fact that I realized that Mickey Kaline is voiced by Ron Perlman, Hellboy oh, himself. Yeah. And you expect Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman could eat, can choose scenery left, right, and center. What in especially if he's doing animation? I mean, he was Clayface in the Batman the animated series, <laughs> but he plays it so subdued. He plays it very right down the middle, as it were, when it comes to a role like this, and it seems so heartfelt to it. And going back to that word, it's a bittersweet ending. Like, yeah, it, it's a happy ending for some, but like, ah, uh, it, it really hit me. And I think this is kind of a perfect time for this because. It was two years after the MLB strike, and it was right as like steroids became a very prominent word to be used in baseball for the next 15 years on and off, depending on who was uh, batting at that time. Like, say what you will about the steroid era, and you can put asterisks against those players. Like, baseball had not been interesting that interesting in a very long time because people oh, it, were breaking records left, right, and center. It, 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 was, it was awesome in the late 90s when you had all these guys, I mean, it's disgusting what they did, both in a good way and also a very bad way. To quote the comedian Sam Morell, like, there were douchebags canoes waiting outside in the San Francisco Bay every time uh, Barry Bonds got up to bat, <laughs> waiting to catch a, a fly ball. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it, it was a fascinating era of baseball for sure. 
But what about you, Chris? What was your feelings about this episode? This is definitely one that I remember. The character of Mickey Kaline really sticks out. Justin, as soon as you told us what your topic was, I was like, yes, we get to talk about Mickey Kaline. There's another Mickey Kaline episode that I, I really enjoy a lot. Simply for the fact that he says easy peasy lemon squeezy. And I, th- <laughs> I think about that way more than I really should. But uh, yeah, I love the character of Mickey Kaline. I love the voice. The voice, as soon as I watched this episode again, I was like, that voice has stayed in my head for all these years because it sounded exactly like I remembered it sounding. And just the kind of somber and wistful nature of Hey Arnold and, and the way these episodes end. And it kind of, almost reminds me of like an animated version of the wonder years yeah, something like that, or really just in its entire concept and the the way it handles things and the the way the show is written and the way these characters behave and, and kind of the way the stories come to conclusion. It's almost like the Batman, the animated series of Nicktoons and not just because Mickey Kaline is the size of Solomon Grundy. Uh, <laughs> they're in kind of a league of their own, I think, in, in their kind of respective... Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, you I see didn't what even, you did there. I, I didn't, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll take it, but I, I didn't even... It's just it's because I'm on the call with Tim. There's there's just so much pun energy coming my way. It's uh, You're the punisher. What what else do you, can you say about that? But yeah, no, I, I have very fond memories of the Mickey K-Line character. He almost reminds me of like the baseball version of Dino Spumoni, who is another kind of washed up Hey Arnold character. That is a classic character. Very fond memories of Dino Spumoni. Hey Arnold to me is just the king of very memorable one-off characters or characters that were, you know, kind of, they came back a few times, but just introducing characters and having them immediately be so memorable and so important to the show and our memories of it, and yet they were in maybe two or three episodes, like Mickey Kaline. Yeah, like periodically, like they'll just cut to an establishing shot of location, and you'll see you'll see somebody run across the screen yelling "Monkey Man!" <laughs> yes. And then they gave us the Monkey Man episode. Yep, the, the Monkey Man, uh, Stoop Kid, Stoop Kid. Stoop Who's kid. the one? Who, the the pigeons, Pigeon Man, Pigeon Man. It was, it just Pigeon Man. They kept it yeah. simple. They they were no frills about these. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they realized they're writing for children and you know what it worked <laughs> see, that, see that's that's the incredible thing they they wrote for children but they were still able to write such nuanced stories that on the surface level yeah it's children stuff but it deals with like you know some dark stuff like chocolate boy is basically addiction mm. Helga's parents are just awful people her mother's an alcoholic uh, her dad is just checked out with everything. All the different characters in the boarding house. Yeah. They're all different archetypes in their own right. Including there's a gentleman who clearly works for the CIA. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is fascinating. And like, especially right now, because the fact that we're in the middle of spring training for, as we record this episode, it just, rewatching this episode for me just got me in the mood for baseball. Like, I know I should be in hockey <sighs> mood. And I know I should be like, Oh, Marsh Madness is approaching, even though most of it takes place in April, whatever. I really want to watch some baseball. And then Justin and I were discussing, okay, when are we going to a Mets or a Yankees game this season? Because we need to do that because we had such a good time last time, despite the fact that we nearly smelted in the sun because we had four placement of where our seats were going to be uh, for that game. Yeah. 
this episode just makes me feel really nostalgic and they they get a lot of the small baseball details so right. I love that Quigley Field is a play on Wrigley Field in Chicago. And I don't know if it's a result of the animation style, but the stadium at times, especially the outfield, looks like the polo grounds, the old stadium that the New York baseball giants used to play in, which I, I, if that's intentional, that is a really deep cut and respect that, um, that choice. And, you know, this also makes me feel nostalgic because this is probably the first time I realized that athletes have to retire at some point. And most of the time, it's it's not because they want to. It's because they're just not capable of performing at a certain level that they used to. And, you know, learning that implicitly through this show, through this episode, I think taught me a lot about sports that I didn't know. But after watching, you know, this episode 7, 8, how many countless times I must have seen reruns of this when I was a kid, it just, you know, sinks into you. So, uh, yeah, this episode made me realize that, you know, at some point, we're all going to feel like Arnold watching our heroes walk away from whatever they do, whether it's sports, entertainment, or movies, and uh, everyone gets old. The march of time is relentless, and it sucks. Nostalgia, everybody. <laughs> That's what this show is designed to do. This is supposed to be nostalgia. It's, you know, you love those feelings, but they come at a cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's where you should have put the that's all folks stinger in at the end of that sentence. <laughs> uh, to make it really bittersweet. But that brings us to recycle or reject. We each look at our co-host's topics and we decide if we want to recycle them by bringing them back in a certain way or reject them. Chris, since you go for one first with topic-wise, I'll have you go first for recycle or reject. This one is tough because these are both things that I have very, very fond memories of. But I'm going to recycle the Warner Brothers Studio Store. Oh. And I'll tell you why. Going to a mall in this day and age is a very different experience from what it used to be. But something that I do notice when I go to a mall that's maybe a little bit more active than the one that's right down the street from me is that themed experiences kind of work really well in malls now. And things that you wouldn't necessarily even, you know, associate with being in a mall can really be fun. Arcades and gaming lounges and like racetracks for remote control cars and things like that. Thinking outside the box is probably the way to go if you're trying to get some activity in your mall. So I think that bringing back something like the Warner Brothers Studio Store, but making it even more than just a gift shop and kind of making it a more immersive experience, and that's like the buzzword these days, immersive experience, I think that would be a lot of fun. You could bring back Marvin's Rocket, but you could make it you know, way cooler than it was back then. So I think there are so many opportunities there. There's so many more, for lack of a better term, IPs that you could play off of and have different little sections in the store that I think would be a lot of fun. If there was a Warner Brothers studio store in the mall that I frequent, I would be stopping in there all the time. 
And maybe I would actually buy something now, unlike when I was a kid and used to go in. And that's not to say that, hey, Arnold, I, I reject Hey Arnold. I do not reject Hey Arnold or its teachings. I, uh, <laughs> I love that show very much, but that show was perfection the first time. And if they do want to extend that with you know, more movies like they've done, you know, like the Jungle movie, I would, I would be all for that. But I don't think it needs to be rebooted in any way. I don't think it needs to be remade. I think it stands on its own, and I think it's still a very watchable Nicktoon, very watchable show just in general, as is. It's it's a perfect little nugget of great, great children's animation. I imagine if Space Jam 2... I forget the subtitle of it. What what is what was the subtitle? A new legacy. New legacy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, algae rhythm would definitely greet you as you walk into <laughs> the new <laughs> Warner Brothers st- Studio Store. <laughs> I imagine if that movie was successful, pop up versions of Warner Brothers Studio Store would have happened, and it would have been just this movie because Space Jam. All right, hot take. Not a good movie. The original. Yes, not a good movie. Uh. Yeah. It's a fun movie. It's it's a movie that I had fun with. Yes. It's, I mean, it's... It's the Little Caesars of movies. <laughs> right. It, it, I mean, it is a 90-minute version of a commercial tie-in between Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. They even yeah. list off all his endorsements <laughs> <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, I guess they're hanging a lantern on that by having uh, Wayne Knight do that, which is funny, but... Just because you acknowledge it doesn't mean it makes it good. Doesn't uh, nullify the crimes you're committing here by just like having a 90 minute uh, commercial of of this uh, product. Obviously, it worked, and it, where we had like different variations of what sequels that could have happened, but we eventually got the one with LeBron James and Don Cheadle, and it's just so shameful in there packaging of the things we own it's so corporate driven that it's like disgusting to watch it's very uncomfortable it's just like oh no like i it's so shameless like the you as an audience member you're like i don't want to interact with this and i remember a friend of us he and i were texting as i was about to get a haircut he's like have you seen the new space jam and i'm like hell no there's no way i'm watching that trash i go into the barbershop to get my haircut it's on. Yeah, so it's on the TV. And I'm like, Mono. <laughs> so and they're like, Oh, you want to watch the TV? And they turn me to it. And I'm like, Well, now I'm forced to. I feel like uh Malcolm McDowell with a clockwork orange, <laughs> but instead of a torture, it's just getting my hair cut. Yeah. So I imagine if that was popular enough, it would we would have had a resurgence of this. I guess going to me, what would I recycle or reject of your two? Because I want to say the talk boy because I just came up with the idea of like, just do Turbo Man or Jingle All the Way, <laughs> but with this talk boy. And it's just an exacerbated parent going from store to store trying to find a talk boy in the 1992 or 1993 holiday season. Tim, you just invented Netflix's new anthology series. Every season, <laughs> they'll do a different toy craze. From the same producers of how it got, how this uh, was made comes this like it will launch with the tickle me elmo movie <laughs> furbies. Um, furbies tamagotchi oh. tamagotchi beanie babies mm-hmm. they'll hit a, a game system or two yeah like <laughs> i imagine oh, i mean that kind of exists with that 8-bit christmas movie which apparently is really good i have not watched yeah, it i quite liked it it's now part of my uh, holiday rotation 
Like, I want that to get so big and popular. Like, you know what? Let's do the Dreamcast, and that's the one. That's the one that, that kills it just like that, that system failed. But I think I'm going to recycle the Hey Arnold episode. And we discussed this right before we started recording. Like, do we recycle the episode? Do we recycle the show? But I'm going to take a different tactic with this. I'm going to recycle what this episode did for the sport of baseball because... I found out recently Nickelodeon is partnering with the NFL to show NFL certain NFL games on the Nickelodeon network to get kids into football and to get them into uh, wanting to participate in sports, which is a good thing because you want kids to be active and not on their phones all the time and not cooped up in their house. Concussions aside, hopefully it doesn't like we get helmet technology to prevent that. So I think having a show highlight a sport like baseball or hockey or tennis or badminton, something like that for to get kids out there to be active. I think that could be a really cool thing. Only if they have Linda Ellerby as a sideline reporter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. When's the Nick news episode dropping? It's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Those NFL broadcasts are actually really fun to watch, partly because they do incorporate so many, you know, cartoon characters, from when I was a kid, and also because every now and then you have Patrick Starr just going scorched earth on the quarterback <laughs> for the Denver Broncos, throwing an interception, which is just it's just hysterical. <laughs> oh boy! I mean, I imagine Squidward Tentacles doing a uh, highlight package for the Washington Commanders, whatever that is. Talking about football, I think that'd be kind of fun and be kind of cool to see if it make that possible. Nickelodeon used to have such a great presence of sports in its programming. They did. From the shows like Wild and Crazy Kids and Guts yep. to the Nick Gas channel, which I don't know if you guys watched, but that was, mm -hmm. oof, man, that was everything when I was like 14, 15. That was a great channel. They used to have such a great representation of sports and athletes all across their programming. Like athletes would show up on the Kids' Choice Awards, things like that. So I don't know what it's like now, obviously, but yeah, I, I think that that would be a very good thing to have still represented in a strong way on their programming. I think they still do that because they have like this, uh, I haven't watched it. They have, they do have like a weekly NFL highlight show where I assume they get like, you know, some NFL athletes to come in and, and do, you know, spots for them or segments and make it palatable for a eight to 12 year old audience. So I wish, I wish they had that when I was a kid. I mean, I'd much rather watch something cool than end up memorizing nonsensical baseball stats that I have no need of. That's, that's, I, I end up taking the nerd route and now, uh, a bunch of kids get to take the cool kid route. Well, that just got sad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome uh, to my life. Truly like an episode of Hey Arnold. <laughs> yeah. Um, Justin, who's the current uh, head coach for the Green Bay Packers? Oh, that is, uh, I get him mixed up with his brother. Uh, it's either Matt or Mike LaFleur. How awesome would it be at the end of every game if it's broadcasted on Nickelodeon? Does Green slime instead of Gatorade at the end of the game because it's on Nickelodeon. You know what? I would love to see them slime Aaron Rodgers because that seems like the kind of thing he wouldn't like. So I really want to see it. Yeah. And then like he, he would think it was a conspiracy and <laughs> hop on a podcast about that. But uh, Justin, what do you want to recycle or reject? 
I'd really like to recycle the Tiger Talk Boy. I'm trying to do it in a in a responsible way. You don't want to just re- recycle the wrong plastic for and then <laughs> you know have it end up in the wrong type of plastic junk pile. You know when it gets to the uh, the recycling center. So I think it would have to be an app on the iPhone or or any Ooh. smartphone. You know you can kind of alter your voice on like you know Snapchat or TikTok or. or whatever these kids are using these days. But I think if you had, I sound so old. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the, the, those confounded apps on that, those iPhones. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I've never used TikTok, so I, I don't know what like all the, the bells and whistles are to that. But I, I think I would, I would develop an app that can is, you know, solely for altering your voice and in the type of way that the Tiger Talk Boy was able to so i think you you could probably give it a a few more features than the original one had just because we've progressed so much uh, in technology but i i think that's how i would try to repurpose this in in 2023 tim i i would say we could bring back the wb stores but i am reminded that the harry potter ip now belongs to universal so we lose a lot of the marketability with with that right now. Though you still have, you know, still have so much stuff that could be in stores. Yeah, I mean, with the upcoming reboot of the DC Films line and the possibility of Peter Jackson being involved in new Lord of the Rings movies based on, I guess, I don't know, appendices or what have you. There is a plethora of things that on the table that they can use to uh, market to and generate uh, merchandise for. Hell, if uh, Warner Brothers Universal want to combine forces and just buy the Harry Potter IP from its original creator, I think everybody would be kind of rejoicing <laughs> in that. But that's a topic for another day. But uh, yeah, I think uh, an app uh, for the Talkboy would totally work. Just don't sync it up to any deep fakes, anybody. That's the only thing I'll ask for. <laughs> Actually, you know, that's another reason why I'm not going to recycle the WB stores. They knew they had Lord of the Rings in the works. They knew Harry Potter was in the works. And they were still like, yep, let's get rid of all the merchandise stores. I mean, this is also the same companies like, you know what? We can sell WCW to <laughs> Vince McMahon. Nothing can go wrong with them consolidating power whatsoever. <laughs> this is also the same company that canceled an already shot movie for tax reasons. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 real bang up job. The, Let's not even get into that. <laughs> you know, as, Justin, as you were as you were talking about recycling the talk play, I was thinking like they could go the app route, but they could also make it just like a portable zoom recorder for kids oh, which yeah. would also be kind of cool because that's basically what it was yeah but just yeah. make make it a, a portable hard disk or flash drive recorder or, or a micro sd card recorder for kids with little bells and whistles and effects that might even exist but that would be fun didn't sony try to make well, i'm trying to think of the sony what was it the mini cd <laughs> the mini i'm trying to think are you talking about mini disc mini players? disc mini disc players that's oh what it my was. god the bane of my existence when uh when I was at uh, the high school radio station, Tim and I went to high school at just, <laughs> I'll tell you what, a technology I'm glad that uh, went extinct, mini discs. Yeah. But before we fall down any more rabbit holes, let's wrap this up. 
Before we go, I want to say thank you to everybody who has reached out to us, whether it be on social media with our accounts on Twitter or Instagram or to us individually. Uh, I can speak for Justin, Chris. It really means a lot to us that we've gotten so many kind words already from the beginning of the show. So from all of us, thank you. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and, and review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. We'll be back next month, but until then, here's how you can keep up with us and let us know if you have any other nostalgic topics to be discussed. On Twitter, it's Canon Nostalgia, as well as on Instagram, Canon Nostalgia. Email us at canonnostalgia at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to follow me specifically, you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at this is Tim Rooney. My YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash through lens productions, where all my short films are up. And my other podcast, the Anything Goes podcast, whenever I drop an episode there. Justin, where can people follow you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me mostly on Instagram at J A Cirillo 89. That's Cirillo spelled C I R I L L O. Very nice. What about you, Chris? Uh, just to make it easy, you can go to my website, cmstrikeaudio.com. I have some music projects up on YouTube and SoundCloud, and all the links are there. So that's a pretty good place to go if you want to check any of those out. Very nice. All right, fellas, thank you for taking time out of the evening to talk some more uh, nostalgia and cracking open more cans of nostalgia with me. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus, you had to make it weird <laughs> on the way out. The reason why people scamper outdoors, it's just like, all right, I'm getting out of here. We hope you'll join us next time as we crack open some more cans of nostalgia. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next month. That's all, folks. <laughs> Good night, Justin. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>